It's nice to be with you all here. It's a great honor to come to your home. I've wanted to come since the first time I met you. Taste your cooking and and uh, revive my memories of my own visits to South India, as we were talking a little earlier. I first arrived in India in 1973 in Madras from Australia, and from there went to West Bengal, and, and my next visit I spent some time in Hyderabad. And over the years then I've been as far south as Kanyakumari and as far north as Gumuk, at the mouth of the Ganga. And from West Bengal to Rajasthan, Mathura, so east to west, north to south. Uh, I'm very blessed, blessed to be able to spend so many of my uh, years of my adult life in uh, Bharat Bhumi. Hmm? It's really the the um, the mother of the world's spirituality, and such a rich, diverse, and um, thoughtful uh, culture. My particular um, orientation to the culture of, of Hinduism is um, Krishna Bhakti, and that Krishna Bhakti, as it has been explained and and uh, taught by example through the person of Sri Chaitanya. Hmm? You might have heard about him in school. <laughs> um, he was, of course, very um, preoccupied with Krishna Kirtan. And uh, although he's a later day person, if you will, in comparison to the text of the Gita or the Bhagavat, Srimad Bhagavatam, I'm going to recite a little bit from this text, Srimad Bhagavatam, and it said, Amalam Puranam. Amalam Puranam. There are many Puranams, many Purana, and um, they speak differently to different people based on their different psychologies. Whether their psychology is a mixture of Tamil and Rajaguna, or Rajaguna, Sattvaguna. So, the ancient sacred texts of the Hindus uh, was a singular, really, the singular voice of the Godhead, but uh, appealing to different psychologies. As we understand it in, from yoga psychology, Sankhya, influenced by gunas, Rajaguna, Tamaguna, Satvaguna. So there are different religious conceptions that will be more appealing to one psychology or another psychology, even while the psychology formed by the gunas and the corresponding physiology and propensity to work and uh, occupy oneself and so forth, even though these gunas are something to be transcended and to enter into the nirguna. Nonetheless, the nirguna presents itself just like my Guru Maharaj once was asked in New York, so you have come from India and you are a sadhu. Well, why did you come here on airplane? 
why didn't you come on a magic carpet? He said, well, I, when, when in Rome, do as the Romans. <laughs> so, it's some news from the Nirguna hmm, world is to come here, then it will tailor itself to the psychology of the persons here, situated as they are, within the influence of the, of the three gunas. Hmm? These gunas mean like ropes, you know, like strands on a rope. So, there's the binding force. Hmm? We have some type of personality and disposition and so forth, based on, largely on environmental uh, circumstances. And of course, in Hinduism, that carries on for birth after birth, so the environment you're in is relative to the environment you were in, and so on and so forth. But at any rate, <clears throat> amongst the Puranas, there are many. Uh, the Bhagavad is probably the most famous. It has been, as a, I cited a verse, Amalam Puranam, Simad Bhagavatam Amalam Puranam, Jad Vaishnavanam Priyam. Vaishnavanam Priyam. So you are coming from Shaivite families, but there are many Vaishnavas in South India also. Vaishnavanam Priyanam. Priyam means dear. So Srimad Bhagavatam is very dear to the Vaishnavas, and it is the Amala Purana. It means the subject matter of the Bhagavat is all purely nirguna. Hmm? Even while it's speaking about the guna of Krishna. That means very different idea. Hmm? Just as there are material qualities, there may be also spiritual qualities. It's a big subject, but Krishna has many qualities, but he is nirguna. Hmm? So he is the subject of Srimad Bhagavatam. And, uh, and uh, as I say, uh, I come to the Hindu tradition through the influence of Sri Chaitanya, in terms of Krishna Bhakti, and he, Sri Chaitanya, was always preoccupied with the kirtan of Krishna Nam, Hari Nam, Krishna Nam. And although he appeared in India in the um, 15th century in West Bengal, traveled through the whole of South India also. At 24 years of age, he became a sannyasin, and he went to Jagannath Puri from, from Calcutta. Mayapur, West Bengal, where the Ganges meets the, the ocean. Hmm. At 24, he took sannyas. He went to Jagannath Puri, and from there he went all over South India. And the travels where he went in South India are very well documented. And he was very well received throughout the South. <clears throat> and wherever he went, he taught a very simple thing, hmm, but something that is very... Um, uh, prominently spoken about in the sacred texts, and that is that uh, in Kali Yuga, the dharma that is most effective, that is a namkirtan. Hmm? And so, here I want to s speak from a couple of shlokas, a couple of verses, poetic verses of the Bhagavat that uh, make this point and um, in the context in which Sri Chaitanya, although he appeared only in the 15th century, is spoken about in the text of the Bhagavatam 
long, long time previous to that. Hmm? It said in the Bhagavatam that, and this is the eleventh chapter, it's a book of twelve, twelve books. Hmm? And the books are described compared to Krishna's body, first canto to his lotus feet, second canto, the ankles and so forth, and up to the tenth canto, his smiling face, and the eleventh canto, it's his intelligence reflecting back. Twelfth uh, chapter is an afterthought <laughs> after that. So, <clears throat> In eleventh canto, there's a discussion about the yugas. This yuga idea is a Hindu idea of time. Uh, involves the idea of time, a cyclical time. And um, as there are four seasons, so they are thought to be, and they change and they go round and round. And so the yuga cycles, four yuga cycles, going round and round. And um, they speak about a quality of time, different qualities of time, in the terms of piety or impiety in the atmosphere and so forth. <clears throat> and for the different yugas, different methods are recommended primarily for the yuga in terms of the pursuit of transcendence, the goal, mukti, for example. <clears throat> and um, we can, of course, nowadays from an empirical, historical point of view, um, verify the yuga notion, which speaks about humans and advanced civilization existing very far into the past. But it doesn't mean that such an idea should be so readily retired um, as modern people might like to do. Hmm? Um, because... The fact is that um, to get a grip on the nature of this world, what to speak of the transcendent realm, is very difficult with our tiny brains and instruments of research. There's, uh, I learned not long ago that the difference in the DNA of a human being, you know what DNA is? The difference, so you listen to this now, the difference between the DNA of a human being, it's like the information, so to speak, that, that the individual arises out of from a scientific point of view. So the DNA of the human being is almost exactly the same as the DNA of a chimpanzee. You know what a chimpanzee is, right? The difference between the DNA of the human and the chimpanzee is just microscopic. It's very, very tiny. Hmm? So what does that mean to us? Someone say, well, see, we are just like monkeys. Not much difference. That's what it means. Hmm? There may be one way of looking at that. One could think like that. But then if you look a little closer, we see, although the DNA is so, so similar, you have to look twice to make sure it's a human or a chimpanzee. Hmm? Nonetheless, the capacity of the chimpanzee and the capacity of the human being to understand the natural world is very, very different. At least we think, right? You understand me? 
If you ask the chimpanzee, what is the world about? Maybe it's about getting some peanuts, <laughs> something like that. Getting out of the zoo, let me out. About bananas, swinging from the trees. We have a nice ashram in, in Costa Rica. It's very like, much like India. We have 150 acres there. And everywhere there are monkeys in the trees. They only live in, they never touch the ground. Yeah, always, uh, always swinging from tree to tree, going in groups and so forth. So what is their idea of life? What is their understanding of the natural world? Ours, we think, is considerably greater, although the DNA in us is just, just almost similar. So the point is this. Biologically speaking, or from an evolutionary point of view, there's nothing that mandates that we as human beings should be able to understand the natural world in its entirety. And to think that we can, and that we can master it, like in the palm of our hand, is a very intoxicated perspective on the part of those who, who think so. For all we know, there could be another being that has just a little different DNA than us, to whom we look like chimpanzees. And our understanding of the world is like that of a chimpanzee. And whose influence we cannot even trace out and understand. Hmm? Just like if you have an ant crawling on the table and you're just a young boy, you're just watching and then you put your finger down. Then he has to go around, then you put it there. Hmm? What does he understand? <laughs> what is a finger? He tells other ants, there's this thing, it comes down. Like I saw it, it touched the table. And the, hmm? Right. We live in three dimensions. Hmm. Do we know there are only three dimensions? Even in science, in you know, string theory, now they they can't prove it yet with the math, but they speculate five, six other dimensions as well. Hmm. So the w world of matter itself is vast, and it used to be thought that. Um, there was how many galaxies? One galaxy, maybe? I don't know, I don't know Milky Way or something. Now they found from the Hubble telescope there are 500 million galaxies, something like that, in one universe. And then there's a theory that there are other universes. And then there's the theory that there are multiple universes, that they interact somehow with one another in ways that cause history to be all histories to be possible at the same time. Hmm. Now it's hard to explain, but hmm. which makes the idea that in historicity, empirical historical evidence, the last word in, in, the, in terms of the truth as to what happened, rather questionable. In other words, there can be some histories where an asteroid did not hit the Earth and there are still dinosaurs, hmm? for example. Well, that's true, that another one came in. So, so it's important, I think, to uh, look at the Hindu texts like the Gita, like the Bhagavad, in terms of what they're ultimately speaking about and have some regard 
for some of the things that they speak about that we can't verify or maybe seem a little different than we perceive them in the modern age and so forth. They should not be dismissed too readily, especially because of the core teaching that they are centered on. These texts are centered on the idea that reason has meaning. There are right ways to think and there are right ways and wrong ways to act. What I mean by that is if we have a materialistic perspective, if our philosophical understanding of the world is materialistic, that means that there's nothing going on in the world other than the random interaction of physical forces. Physical things are bumping into one another. Now in a world that consists solely of material or physical forces interacting, there's no right way for them to interact or wrong way to interact. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? There's no right way for the wind to blow or wrong way for the wind to blow. Hmm? Right and wrong comes from somewhere else. It doesn't come from random interactions of physical things. Hmm? If we and everything else are just physical forces interacting, and there's nothing more than that, then the proper way to act, how we ought to, ought to be, we should be, <clears throat> is only something of human convention then, just some idea that we create. But that truth of that is not rooted ontologically, in a, in a, grounded in, in the real, if you will. It's if you think it's good, okay. But if I don't think it's good, that's okay too. So this kind of relativism is, with regard to morals and the right way to act, is, is uh, there's no real grounding in a materialistic philosophy of right and wrong. And as there is no right way for physical things bumping into one another to act or not to act, means there's no right way to think either. Your rationality is also just physical interactions. So there's no, there's just no, no meaningful discourse. Meaningful discourse means there's a right way to act. You, you can't contradict yourself and so on and so forth. But if these are just physical forces interacting, then the place for reason, it doesn't, well, it doesn't really have a place. You know, it's thought in materialism that everything that happens proceeds from cause and effect. So I touch this, one physical entity touches another, and there's a, an effect. Cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. Hmm? But reason requires more than cause and effect. Reason cannot be just a neuron firing in the brain cause and then the thought is an effect. Reason requires more than this cause and effect. Think about it. I could say, what's a good example? Um, 
Well, with 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 reasoning, we have what we call um, premises and consequences. If because of this, then because of that. The yogi did not get up today. He slept in. Therefore, he must be sick. Why? Because, well, the yogi gets up every day when he's healthy. You see, there's a premise. And there's a consequence. It's not a cause, in other words... Um, it's not a cause and effect only. We have concluded that the yogi didn't get up today because we know, hmm, this is our premise, when he's healthy, he always gets up early. Hmm? And so we conclude that he must not be healthy. Hmm? Because, so this is a different type of reasoning that is requires more than cause and effect. It can't go on just in a physical entity or object like a brain. Mm. So, at any rate, mm, these scriptural texts of the Hindus, they're very strongly emphasizing this point that there is more to life than matter. There's more to life than bra- than a brain. Mm. Um, and the more, ultimately, is the real self-consciousness. Mm. And, it, and, and, and it has great... It's the it's the it's the center of all meaning, all value, and so forth. And so it's good when we, as Hindus, we we live in a modern world that is, tends to be materialistic, and these are old books, you know, and dusty on most people's shelves. But you can see they have an effect on on modern people like like myself also, and for good reason. They have a powerful, powerful message that at their core that gives our lives far more meaning than materialism does, which is materialism, which is just a theory that cannot be proven. It's a reasoning about things that are observed. And implicit within materialism is that the reason has no real currency to conclude anything conclusively. <laughs> so it's very... Uh, we say that consciousness, the self, the Atman, is the one thing that cannot be dismissed. When we say in Sanskrit the word sat, we speak about the real. And what we mean when we say the real, we mean it's something that, that always exists. If something is here today but it's gone tomorrow, then we, we don't give it much credibility. Just like things happen to you in your dreams, right? But they go away quickly, so you don't you, you think they weren't real. Hmm? But what's real in, in in Sanskrit is that which is eternal. Hmm? It has no beginning, it has no end. Hmm? You see, if you think about it, consciousness, it has no beginning, it has no end. It means I can dismiss this house, it's not real, because it's it's not going to be here after a while, and it wasn't here previously. It's just a Things coming and going together, things come moving. But something is observing all of this. It doesn't change. The observer, this is the consciousness. And consciousness cannot dismiss itself because it requires consciousness to dismiss anything. Do you understand me? Consciousness is at, is at, the, at, the, at the ground. 
So all material manifestations we can deny that they don't endure, but who's doing the denying cannot deny himself. Hmm? <laughs> so the self, this, this, these texts are all about the self and the self's prospect in life. Hmm? And um, so it, it speaks about the material world a little differently sometimes than we find in modern science, although interestingly, amongst all of the different religions in the world, Hinduism has more similarity with modern scientific findings with long periods of time and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, the idea of contracting and expanding universes. Hmm? This is the whole idea of Bhagavatam. The world comes, expands, then it contracts. Hmm? Like the breathing of God it comes out again, goes in again. Hmm? and so forth. So, uh, so anyway, books worth um, paying attention to. And one of the things, one of the themes in these texts is time, of course. Time is cyclical, cyclical rather than linear. Hmm? And, um, you know, let me give you another idea. It used to be thought in Europe that the world orbited, everything orbited around the Earth, a geocentric perspective. Then, who was it, Copernicus and the other one? Yeah, they uh, they concluded that actually the Earth and the other planets are moving around the Sun. So, from a geocentric to a helio heliocentric world. Hmm? So we're going in circles, that, that's for sure. <laughs> but, but what's the center of the circle that can be changing? Now, when people thought that the, that the planets all orbited around the Earth, you could say they were wrong, right? Because now we know we all orbit around the Sun. But when they thought the world only orbited around the Earth, did they eat less? No. Hmm? <laughs> did they sleep less? No. Did they have less children? No. Did life change substantially much? Not really. We can say it changed in this way and that way, and we have more things to do this, that, but the basic things, they could still carry on a nice life <laughs> with that so-called misunderstanding. Maybe they couldn't make this gadget or that gadget, which would save you more time, but actually make your life go faster. You have to speed up, right? Hmm? Now, if somebody texts you, you have to reply right away. Hmm? So it's a maya. <laughs> the faster you make it go, the faster you have to go. You don't save any time. You just have now. You have to go faster to keep up with your own phone, which is supposed to save your time. Hmm? So you could take the call in the car instead of waiting to get home. So you get it done faster. So, but you just keep. It's drive making you go faster. Hmm? And no peace, no peace, and no time to think about what could be more important than just moving here and there to get this or get that, get this, get that. Hmm? We used to have a saying when I was a kid, the parents would say, don't just sit there, do something. Now we have a saying from a spiritual perspective, don't just do something, try sitting there. You understand? Busy, 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 but no time to sit and think is there more to life than just collecting things? 
Hmm? That's all outward going. Get this, I get that. I. But what about me? Who's the, who's the getter? What's inside? What's the self? Hmm? So the sages of India, they were concerned with this. They took, took time to sit quietly and think. Hmm? We have a saying. I try to follow it. It's a spiritual saying. Go within or go without. You think about it. <laughs> Those are your choices. <laughs> go within or go without. You can go without. without. You can get the Bible says, if you gain the whole world outside, but you don't go within and collect your own soul, you have nothing. Hmm? When you die, what can you take with you? Only one thing. Only one thing you can take with you. As much as you have given, hmm? that much you can take. Because why? Have you ever heard it said, to give is to receive? Hmm? This is very mystical. You think by giving I will have less, right? If I have ten dollars and I give you five, I have less. That's math. Hmm? But math does not tell the whole story. That is the point. Because <laughs> hmm? the fact is, if I have ten and I give you five, I may have less money, but I have more of something else. And that more is more attractive. Who is more attractive, the one who gets the money or the one who gives the money? Hmm? Who gives the money is more attractive, hmm? is more beautiful. We want their, their sangha, their association more. Hmm? Giving that is the beauty of life. Hmm? When we give, I mean we give up the collecting, the taking, the competition for things. Hmm? And we can give up as we find there's actually more within. So go within or go without. Without means two things here, obviously. Hmm. You really go without, with nothing, if you don't go within. Hmm. And if you go out, then you haven't gone in. You've got nothing. Hmm. Hmm. So on different levels we can go in. We can think I could be a good person. I should let somebody go first. I should learn manners. I should give in charity. Hmm. Um, I should serve my parents. After all, they give to me. I should give to them. Hmm? So on and so forth. Hmm? They could help poor people. Hmm? Um, there are many ways in which we could give. What the ancient texts of the Hindus are talking about is how you can hone the giving to the highest, fullest degree. Hmm? That will be the fullest getting. Hmm? In that you will find all the potential of the self, of the Atma, this pot its potential to love. Hmm? And you will come in touch with that which is most lovable. Hmm? Atmas has ananda. It is sat, it is real, it is chit. It means it's cognizant, not like matter, achit. Hmm? It is sat, it is chit, and it is ananda. Anand. Anand means joy, bliss. It means love also. Anand. Hmm? So the self is a unit of ananda. Hmm? And in its, if it's fully realized, all of its potential, then it comes in touch with that which 
in the world of Ananda is most lovable, its own source. Hmm? Ananda is like a spark of a fire. Hmm? Is the spark and the fire same? Well, if you touch it, what will you think? If you touch a spark, you touch a fire, you'll be burned, right? They're quite similar. A spark and a fire is quite similar, but they're quite different also, because you cannot cook with a spark. <laughs> you cannot heat your house with a spark alone. Hmm? With a fire, you could burn the whole house down, right? Hmm? If you have a fire of digestion, then you can eat Madhachi's cooking. If you have only a spark, then you cannot eat so much. So, we are like the spark, and Brahman is like the fire. Now, sparks, fire has sparks. What else does fire have? It has heat and light. That's right. What else? One more thing. It's a harder one. Smoke, which is the opposite of fire. Fire illumines and smoke obscures. Hmm? But smoke comes from fire, right? right? Where there is smoke, there is fire. <laughs> so, what we're talking about is, I'm just giving an example, an analogy. So, Brahman is like the fire. Hmm? Spark is like the Jivatma. Ourself, the spark, and smoke is like Maya, matter. Hmm? Matter, it obscures, and it can obscure the spark's connection with the fire. If the spark goes out of the fire into the smoke, then it doesn't have the capacity to dissipate the smoke unto itself. Hmm? But if the smart spark connects with the heat and the light, then it can dissipate the smoke. Hmm? So, spiritual life is about connecting ourselves, the spark, with the heat and the light of the fire. Fire has heat and light. Light means luminosity, wisdom, knowledge. You can see what is ignorance and avoid it. Hmm? And heat, heat means feeling, means ananda, love. Hmm? So, Brahman has shakti. Is the point. Shakti of heat and light. That is the Shakti that's very close to the fire. That is the Shakti that makes Brahman move. What we call Leela. Hmm? You are doing Devi Upasana. Hmm? Who is the primal Devi? What does Gotamiya Tantra say? Radhika, Prema, um, Krishna, Devata. Mm-hmm. There's a verse I can't remember, but anyway. Mm-hmm. You're doing Devi Upasana. Very good. In Bengal, West Bengal, there are the Devi, Shaktas, and Bhaktas. They often argue. Mm-hmm. Right? In our tradition, we are Bhaktas who are shaktas. How can you be both? Bhakta and shakta. Because our perspective is this. Brahman, the fire, 
has heat and light. You cannot really separate heat and light from the fire. You kind of can, but you can't. They're really one and different. Spark you could separate from the fire a little bit. Smoke you can, you can say, oh yeah, that's smoke, this is fire. Hmm? We're talking about here Brahman and three Shaktis, Teen Shakti. Smoke, spark, and heat and light. Hmm? Smoke is more different, although it's one with the fire too, because it cannot exist without the fire. But it's more different. So matter is more different. It is a kind of Shakti, but it's Achit, Asat, Nirananda. Samaste? Hmm? Then we have Jiva. Jiva is Sat, Chit, Ananda, Anu. Anu means atomic only, hmm? like spark, not the whole fire. Hmm? That is also Shakti of Bhagavan, ourselves. Jeev Shakti, Maya Shakti, Jeev Shakti. That is the world, Maya Shakti, Jeev Shakti. Hmm? Bound by karma, Maya Shakti, Jeev Shakti. Hmm. Then there is bhakti. Bhakti is not part of maya. Hmm. It's not part of the jiva. But bhakti can touch the jiva and the jiva can get out of maya hmm. by upasana. Right? That's the idea. Upasana is a, to connect with the fire. Hmm. Hmm. So, this Brahman that is the fire the heat and light hmm, is what do we call it? Bhakti. Hmm? It is a Shakti. And so the Devi, various Devis, they are all Shakti Tattva. Hmm? Shakti Tattva. And then there's Shakti Man. Shakti, Shakti Man. Hmm? Right? So the Shakti is the energy. Shakti Man is the energetic. Fire has energy. Heat and light is his energy. But that heat and light, the Devi, makes Brahman move. In Krishna Bhakti, this heat and light of the fire is making Brahman move in Leela. Brahman is everywhere, so how can it move? If you're already everywhere, where can you go? But the Brahman will move. This is a very different idea. Under the, not like we move, but under the influence of his own, of his own shakti, of bhakti. Because love moves people. Hmm? Understand? Bhagavan is moved by love. Hmm? Why is love? By bhakti. Hmm? So, this bhakti, all the devis, they represent some, some, so, like Parvati, she is Aradhananam Sarvesham Vishnu Aradhananam Param Devi. Devi asked Mahadev, what is the best kind of worship? Mahadev said in Purana, Aradhananam Sarvesham Vishnu Aradhananam Param. Mahadev Shiv said, worship of Vishnu is the best thing. And Devi said, was thinking, well, well, I'm worshipping you. Are you telling me I'm not doing the best worship? Then he said, but 
Tasmat Parataram Devi, Taniyanam Samarchanam. However, Tasmat, my dear Devi, worship of that which is dear to Vishnu is even higher than the worship of Vishnu. And Devi thought, oh, Shiva's very dear to Vishnu. I'm his worshiper, so I'm okay. Hmm? I'm okay. Hmm? <laughs> but if we look at the entirety of all the Hindu gods and goddesses, every god, every goddess represents something, hmm? something we want, something we need. They all have something to do also. Hmm? But among them, of course, Krishna has nothing to do. Not in Braj, in Vrindavan, Krishna has nothing to do. He plays his flute only. Hmm? He's wandering in the forest, playing. Oh, he's just playing, 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 playing. Hmm? Krishna has no weapons. When he goes to Mathura and Dwaraka, he has some weapons. But in Vrindavan, he has no weapons. Nothing to do. Only playing. So the idea is, as I said before, one who only plays, he has all the power. Because it takes power to play. Understand? In other words, if you want to play, you have to have some money in the bank, some power to take a vacation. You have to have some time logged into your company that I have power to take time off now. He always, he always has a day off. Every day he's off. Only playing. So it's the way, through the iconography, if you will, that is being said, the full face of the Godhead is only playing. He has nothing to accomplish. So any manifestation of the deity that has something to do hmm, is a manifestation of divinity, but arguably not the full face of the divinity. Hmm. So, therefore, Krishna. Hmm. And who stands next to Krishna? Radha. She is the Supreme Devi. Hmm. If you want to do Devi Upasana, Best Devi to serve is Radha. Hmm? And that is to worship that which is dear to Krishna, Tadiya. So if you worship Krishna, that is one thing. But if you worship that which is dear to Krishna, hmm, there's an easy way to endear yourself to Krishna. Hmm? It's very simple. Hmm? If I come to your house and your son likes me, then you like me. <laughs> no problem. If your dog likes me, then you will like me. Hmm? Right? Because if your dog is dear to you, I like your dog, that is in love psychology. Hmm? It may be hard to approach Krishna, but to approach Devi, Radha, very easy actually. Hmm? She is said to be the compassionate nature of Krishna. She is bhakti personified and she's giving herself Bhagavan is giving himself through bhakti to the world. Hmm? You know, another name for Radha in the Tantra, Durga. That is a Devi name, right? Durga. Durga. Durga, difficult, Durga, to go. She guards over a place that's difficult to go from. Hmm? This world. Another name for Radha is also Durga. Difficult to go to. Hmm. That high. Hmm. Hmm. But she makes it easy, nonetheless. Hmm. 
all the Krishna mantras, hmm, all the Krishna mantras in all the sacred texts are presided over by Durga. Hmm. You see, this is... Let me give you an idea. If you have electrical energy, you can do a number of things with it. For example, in the winter, what can you do with electrical energy in the house? Heat. What can you do in the summer? Cool. Opposites. Right? There's one Shakti, but you can do different things. Hmm? So, there's two sides. Durga, who can obscure, hmm? and Durga Asrata, who can enlighten. Hmm? This idea. Hmm? So generally, because generally, people pray to Durga to get something. <laughs> you understand? We do Devi Upasana, so we can get a good son, get a good new house. But that all that is obscuring the Atma. That's all going without. Hmm? But if we want to go within, hmm? see, so we don't want to go within, so we we are not bhaktas or shaktas, we are kind of like super shaktas, because we are worshippers of Radha, which means we are worshippers of Krishna, indirectly. Hmm? So we are also doing Devi Upasana. This is our way. Hmm? Parashakti. Something like this. Hmm? I recommend if you think about it. Hmm? Radha is very generous. Uh, and, and, and Krishna is very charming. Hmm? There was a controversy, of course, in South India between the Shaivites and the Vaishnavites. Fighting, fighting. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to South India, then it was brought to him, his attention. What is better, Krishna or Vishnu? He said... I don't know, he said, but I think that uh, Shiva or Vishnu or, or Shiva. He said, uh, Shiva, uh, doesn't he have the Ganges on his head? Have you seen? Yeah. Taking Ganges on his head. And where's that water coming from? Ganges water. Yeah, but we're supposed to come from above. Coming from the feet of Vishnu. Vaman, you know Vaman Avatar? His one foot went, broke the heavens and water came from, um, what do you call that causal ocean? Anyway, this is Ganga. Hmm? So he said, well, uh, she was taking the foot wash of Krishna, Vishnu on his head, so you tell me. Hmm? But these are foolish arguments. Shiva's better, Krishna's better. In our school, we see all different manifestations of divinity and honor them accordingly. So, so that said, then, uh, that's a long introduction, so I want to go to the text. It's, it's said to us that here in the text that in the Kali Yuga, which is thought to be the, a very inauspicious time, there's something auspicious. Hmm? It says that, and in here, uh, in the context of explaining the virtues of Kali Yuga, it describes the person of Sri Chaitanya thousands of years before he appeared, because Bhagavad was written a long time before that. Hmm? 
says Krishna Barnam Tisa Krishnam Sangopangastra Parshadam Yagnaya Sankirtana Prayer Yajanti Hisumedasa. In Kali Yuga, they said Krishna will come, but Krishna Varnam Tisa Krishnam. Krishna also means dark, the dark one. So it says here in this verse, Krishna Varnam Tisa Krishnam. He is Tisa Krishna, means he's Krishna, but he's not dark. He's the opposite of that. He means he has a golden complexion. And Krishna Varnam. Varna means here uh, like Varan, uh, like syllable. Mm-hmm. Hmm? Right? Pabarga, this Kabarga, ka ka ga ga. So uh, he, from his mouth is always coming Krishna. Hmm? He's always doing kirtan of Krishna. He's Krishna, but he's not the color of Krishna. He's a different color. Krishna's dark complexion and Radha's golden complexion. Hmm? You know what? Hmm. Chaitanya means Krishna coming in a golden complexion. Krishna coming in the mood of Radha to give bhakti to Krishna everywhere by exemplifying bhakti himself because that is the best way to teach. The best way to teach is by example. Krishna Barnam Tisaha Krishnam Sangopangastra Parshadam He came with his weapons. What are Krishna's weapons? He said this, in, in the form of Chaitanya his weapons were his arms like this which raised out of Ananda when chanting Krishna Nam. His arms went up and he danced like this and people would melt in South India when he went in Kirtan. They melted to see him. Hmm? Melted. Krishna Barnam Tisa Krishnam Sangopangastra Parshnam Yagnaisan Kirtana Prayer Yajantihi Sumedasa. Sumedasa means very intelligent. So this text says, who's very intelligent in Kali Yuga. They will worship, do upasana through Sankirtan, through Hari Kirtan. Hmm? Like Bhagavan is showing himself, Krishna, Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, in the person, implication is Sri Chaitanya. Hmm? And then it says about Kali Yuga that I know it. Kalim Sabhajayantiarya Gunagya Sarabhagina Yatra Sankirtanainaiva Sarvaswartu Bilabhite. Those who are actually intelligent in Kali Yuga can appreciate there is a very essential value of Kali Yuga. Hmm? Such enlightened persons, they worship Kali Yuga this time because in this age, perfection can be achieved very easily by Kirtan of Radha, Krishna, Nam, Hare Krishna. Hare means Radha. Here, Krishna means Krishna. Hmm? Very easily, this can be accomplished. Hmm? So, means Kali Yuga, difficult time, but therefore the easy process is given hmm? for people who are <laughs> who are uh, handicapped, something like that, <laughs> handicapped. Hmm? And then, I'll conclude with this. It says, Bhagavad says. 
that the inhabitants of Satya Yuga hmm, and other Yugas who, know, who are intelligent, they all desire to take birth in Kali Yuga. Since in Kali Yuga there will be many devotees of, of Narayan and Krishna. Hmm? And these devotees will appear in various places, especially in... We'll go to the Sanskrit. Hmm? Especially Kvachit Kvachin Maharaja Dravideshu Chaburisha Dravideshu Dravida, that means South India. Hmm? Then he gives example. Tamrapani, Tamrapani, Nadi, Jatra, Kirtamala, Payasvini, Kaveri, Cha, Mahapunya, Pratichicha, Mahanadi. It's mentioning South in Indian uh, rivers of South India. Hmm? Tamrapani. Kaveri, I've been there. Yes, all these places. In these places, there will be many uh, uh, devotees, and other places in the world, like North Carolina. <laughs> it, it means devotees will appear in different parts of the world, and they will make available this. this they will, by example, this type of Harikata, Harikirtan this kind of discussions and so forth. But South India was particularly a place of rich spiritual culture at the time. In fact, academic, from the academic circles, they think this Bhagavatam must have been written in South India. They think from academic perspective. So, because you are from South India, then you it's honored to come to your house and, and to... And to remember that holy, holy place, and these words of the Bhagavatam about the piety there. My guru came from India, so came from Bengal, but that's also hidden in the language here. That's a little bit south, <laughs> a little bit west. They eat rice there too. <laughs> <laughs> so from him we learned Harikirtan. So uh, we explain. I just want to explain a little bit about our our tradition in particular. Thank you very much. So, any question? You, you, talked of, you talked about uh, giving, right? Yes. What is the highest form of giving you kind of touched on? It? Mm -hmm. Well, that's a good question. And um, there's an answer to that. There's two sides to it. Hmm. There is, one side is the quality of the giving. The other side is the object to which the giving is given to give perfectly. Let's speak about the object first. If I give to someone who cannot take, then I cannot give perfectly. If I give to someone, 
if the recipient on the other end cannot perfectly receive, then I, the act of perfectly giving is inhibited by that. Hmm? So if you want to give perfectly, you have to have a reci- recipient on the other end who can receive completely. Like, let's say I want to love my son like anybody. He doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Then I, I want to give my love, but, but I can't give it fully because he won't take it. Hmm? You understand? Or So let's take another example then. I'm consciousness. I'm Atma. Hmm? So if I give to matter, can matter respond? Not really. Hmm? So, so the point being only this, that if I want to give perfectly, then I have to find the perfect object to give to who can receive, re- receive perfectly. Because in the receiving, then I realize the truth of the adage that giving is receiving. If I give and no one receives on the other end, then it's not going to work. Hmm? That's why we give sometimes and we have the best intentions, but we don't give where it can be received, and so we don't, the giving doesn't feel like it's receiving. Hmm? feels worse than that sometimes. We think maybe that's I shouldn't give. Huh. So, so, so then we have to hone the object to which we give, right? So, let's let's give some example. We could give to the country. Hmm? We could give to our family. We could give to our country. We could give to the planet. Hmm? We're getting bigger as we go, right? Hmm? Bigger ideas of giving, so to speak. Hmm? But all of this giving, nonetheless, is all within the outer world, and we're from the inner world. Hmm? Um, So in the sacred text, our attention is turned more and more inward, right? Hmm? And so you would be doing better to give to yourself your atma than to anything in the world. That is better welfare. Hmm? Better than helping the poor people is to understand the impoverished condition of your atma, hmm? which is identifying with matter when, in fact, it is what animates matter and gives meaning to it. Hmm? If you have a bird in a cage, some people have a bird like a parakeet in a cage, hmm? well, if you clean the cage every day, that's pretty nice, right? But if you never feed the bird, then what? Do you understand? So more important than the world, as we said previously, is the Atma. One, your little Atma, yourself, is more important than anything and everything in the world. That's why it's taught, for example, in Gita. If you go to the planet of the devas, because you're doing deva upasana, <laughs> you want things, or deva upasana for things, and you go to heaven, you can have long, long life there. 
How long? No, it's so long. So long. But Arjuna. Krishna says, even from there you have to come back, come down. Hmm? What is a million, billion, ten zillion years in comparison to infinity? It's nothing. It is nothing. It doesn't matter how big of a number you make. Right? You cannot compare it. To, there's no comparison to eternity, to infinity. Hmm? The time. Any time has no comparison to eternity. So even if you become the Brahma, hmm, he says, still, you, hmm, you have to come down. Hmm. So this is the way of material life. We go up, then we go down. We go up, and we go down, constantly. Hmm, up and down, up and down. Hmm. There's no yogas like this. You understand? Because we're not chasing the ups and running away from the downs. Because we're going within. Hmm? So to go within is where we find the wealth. Hmm? So, of all things that you could give to, you give to yourself. And then people in the world will say, you're selfish. You're not going to give in charity? You're only going to meditate? What about all the hungry people? There are so many hungry people, and you just want to sit and meditate. There are so many hungry people, and you build a temple. For God. God has everything. Why do you spend your money and time on a temple? Hmm? Does God need to eat? Does God need a temple? What about the hungry people? Better to feed the hungry people. Why build a temple? What do they need for a temple? Why does God need a temple? No, no, no. You need a temple. God's everywhere. Why do I have to go to a temple? Because God's everywhere, but you can't see him anywhere. If I make a temple and say he's here, then maybe you will come there. And then by starting to focus there, then you will start to see him everywhere. Hmm? Temple for you, so that you can go inside. Hmm? <laughs> and where will you stop the? Where will where will you solve the hunger problem? Hmm? By feeding people, will that solve hunger problem? Why not? That's right. Does it matter how much they eat? You know how much elephant eats? 200 pounds a day. Still he's hungry the next morning. Hmm? So feeding people will never stop hunger. It's a good thing to do, but we're talking about the best thing to do. Right? Hmm? And hunger is only one of the problems of the world. And all of these problems of the world will be solved by feeding the self, the atma. Hmm? It may look selfish. No, I'm not going to. Med I'm going to meditate. I'm going to do kirtan today. I'm going to the temple. I'm not going to go to the political rally mm -hmm. hmm? to change the politics, or I'm not going to do this or that or help. I may look selfish, but people don't understand. But we should not be troubled by the other people's lack of ability to understand. Hmm? If we want to do the best thing, give in the best way. Hmm? When you give to the self, hmm, then you give to the whole world. That's a fact. That is a real investment in the improvement of the whole world. Because truly, nobody, not everybody's going to do it, but you can't wait for everybody to do it, and the world will always go on. Hmm? Coming, going, coming, going. That will never end. Hmm? 
To think we're going to make a perfect world, the nature of the world is it's impermanent. And we want permanence. If impermanence was not a problem, if we, if we were impermanent, then we would not have a problem with impermanence. The reason that we have a problem with impermanence is because we are not impermanent. If we were also impermanent, we would not have a problem with impermanence. Why we all have a problem with impermanence? It's a, it's a overriding kind of unthought about problem. We're constantly pursuing to overcome impermanence. To improve the house, refinish the deck, whatever it is, to live longer, to overcome impermanence. This is a problem. Now, if you go within to the self, the Atma, then you find something permanent, and it's you. And you also solve all the economic problems. Really, you do. Because if everybody went within, then there would be so much less need to take from the environment. When we have a materialistic culture, then everything based on getting things and manipulating matter in other ways to create something else to dazzle my eyes with or tantalize my ears with hmm? or other organs of perception and, and action. It's all outward. This will never end. The richest people in the world are, are sometimes the most unhappy people, right? They still want more. It doesn't matter. You hear about the, the obscene amounts of money that some people have. They don't think of it like that. Because hmm? the more they get, the more control and influence they have. And then there's this illusion that they could control everything. They could make it... And it just, it's not going to happen. So, so when you go within, actually... If you teach this and people would embrace it, embrace it, well, the economic problems would be solved. There'd be so much surplus. Political problems would be solved. Why? Because political problems are largely based on the illusion of nationalism or southern, northern, hmm? whatever may be the case. Hmm? This is illusion. Hmm? You are Indian, I'm American. This has no meaning, really. This is just for fighting, <laughs> for arguing. This is just for differences that are superficial, really. Hmm? In next life, you could be American, I could be Indian. Right? So, so these are all changing things, changing things, but the Atma doesn't change. So the political problems, social problems are solved. I mean, all problems are solved. Now, not everybody's going to go and do this, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it, because you asked, not everybody asks, how can I give perfectly? So you ask, so I'm telling you. Hmm? So, don't give outwardly. Hmm? You don't have to be mean, but your best investment of your giving is to give within. And in the context of that, you can also give without. Just like we give within, but we always invite people to come for prasad. Hmm? For example, if I see somebody and they need help, I help them. Hmm? But I don't make a business out of my life out of that. My life is for... Pursuing the Atma. Hmm? And in the context of that, I can help other people in other ways, to some extent, but I know I can never perfectly help them by adjusting their material situation. I can help them for a moment. If you're hungry, I gave you some food, but I know you're going to be hungry tomorrow. So better I should feed you something and then teach you. Listen, here's the problem. Hunger, pain, disease, all these are symptoms. 
There's one real disease. As the Atma has lost sight of itself, it's in the smoke. The spark is in the smoke. Hmm? So, if we want to give perfectly, first of all, you have to start giving within rather than without. I mean, you need a real spiritual practice and a good guide to help you hmm? to do this. Then you start getting some results from that. Then you feel bigger, hmm? more content. You have wisdom to share also, something really to give people, wisdom and a good example. They see you and they go, what, what are you about? Why do why, why you wear those beads? <laughs> and then uh, you can share that. Hmm? Now, that said, giving to the self is only the beginning of, of where to give. The self is the spark, right? Hmm? And then there was the fire. Right? So, the spark has to give to itself to get out of the smoke, but it has to give to itself in the context of giving itself to the fire. Hmm? Therefore, we should give to the self in a way that reveals the connection between the spark and the fire, not just the difference between the spark and the smoke. Your consciousness not matter. That's the difference between spark and smoke. Hmm? That's knowledge. But bhakti, which is love, which is giving, hmm? that has knowledge in it, but it's more than just the knowledge, I'm not smoke, I'm light. Hmm? You have to come into the fire. Hmm? That means for loving Bhagawan. Now, so, then, we're talking about one side of perfect giving, finding the perfect object of love. From Atma, then the spark, we have to go to the fire. Now the different manifestations of the fire. Shiva, Vishnu, hmm? Narayana, hmm? Krishna. Hmm? But as I said earlier, these are all different manifestations of the same person. Hmm? But which manifestation of all those deities is most capable of reciprocating. Remember I said the recipient of your giving has to be able to receive. But when you speak of giving, we're talking about loving because loving is based on giving, right? So, generally we give ourselves to God like this. We give ourselves to our children like this. Hmm? That's a problem. But what if you could give to God like this? That sounds odd, but... Hmm, yeah. That means less distance than this kind of love. Hmm? Now, you cannot love Shiva like this. Hmm? You understand? <laughs> you cannot even love Narayan like that. Hmm? Even Lakshmi can't love him like that. She's always massaging his feet. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you know, Jashoda, she can love Krishna like that. Mm -hmm. It's possible. Mm -hmm. You have friends, you have a brother, you like him? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So, now, do you ever wrestle with him? Okay. That's fun, right? 
kind of, when you win. <laughs> now, can you wrestle with God? No, no, that's another thing. Not with Shiva, not with Narayan. He has four arms. How could you win? <laughs> but you know what? You can wrestle with Krishna. That's a fact. All those suckers, Sridam, Sudam, friends of Krishna, he's herding cows in Leela, but he's not alone. He has so many boys his own age. It is called Sakya. Sakya rasa. The love, the flavor, the taste of this kind of intimate love. Hmm? This you can have with Krishna, not with Narayan. That's not bad. It's a different kind of love. And then, of course, there is romantic love. Gopis. Hmm? They can have this kind of love with Krishna. So, by objective analysis, the point is this, that Krishna is that form of the Godhead that is able to fully reciprocate. In, therefore, in the Gita, it is Krishna that says, Jayatamam prapadyante tamstataiva bhajamyaham mamabhart manuvartante manushapartha sarvasa However people approach me, I can, I can approach the same way. If you approach Devi, Parvati, she says, I can give you mukti. I can give you things. If you want mukti, I can talk to Shiva. He can give it to you. Okay. Hmm? That's it. Hmm? But you cannot approach them like this. But, but Krishna represents, he's called Rasraj. Rasa means like the taste of things. It means it's love, really. Hmm? We're driven by love. So he, all types of loving possibilities reside in the divinity of Krishna. Therefore, according to the sacred text, if you look very carefully, this is not to say one god is better than the other, necessarily. But if you want to know who has the capacity to reciprocate perfectly and in all respects and completely, yeah, that is Krishna. Hmm? You understand? So we found the perfect object of love. Hmm? That's one part of giving perfectly. And the other part is, you have to give without expectation of getting. So we could find Krishna, for example, and give to Krishna, but because I want to get something in return. One man comes to the temple, and some sadhu is giving a lecture from the Bhagavat. People are sitting. He comes in, and he starts stepping over people. He's not listening to the speaker. He goes straight to the altar. He sees the deity of Krishna. He says something. He puts a rupee in the box and he walks out. Hmm? So he's approaching Krishna. He's worshiping. He put a rupee in the box. He said, oh, Krishna, please give me this. Please give me that. Hmm? He's ignoring the talk about Krishna. Hmm? But saying, Krishna doesn't want your rupee. Hmm? Krishna wants you. <laughs> he wants your whole heart, something like that. <laughs> he doesn't want to give you just things. Hmm? They will just get in your way. Later you just want to get rid of them. <laughs> They'll become a burden. He wants to give you himself. How? Completely. Like a son he wants to be. Like, like a friend he wants to be. Like a lover. Hmm? So, now, Yashoda... She's not like worshiping Krishna, like she's tying him up. Right? It's like, what kind of devotee is that? <laughs> she's tying him up. Mm. 
She's tying him with a with a ribbon of her love in her hair. Hmm. She was afraid that, oh, I've chastised him, now he's going to run away. Now what? Hmm. So, so, we have to find the perfect object of love and then we have to give without expectation of return, this idea. So therefore, we do bhakti for what? What reason do we do bhakti for? For what? What will we get from our bhakti? More bhakti. That is the idea. But if you what if you if you give if you put your money in the bank, every paycheck you just put it in the bank, just put it in the bank. How will you live? Just keep doing it, keep doing it. In time, another check will come in the mail. Interest coming. Interest coming. Hmm? If you keep giving, keep giving into the bank. Hmm? Just a material example, but if you keep giving Eventually, the interest will, if you were the right bank, <laughs> the balance will go up and up and up, and you find, I have all this money here to spend. And so, you have to invest in bhakti. Why? For mukti? No. Hmm? For bhakti. And mukti is inside of bhakti. You see, bhakti can give mukti, but mukti cannot give bhakti. Hmm? That means bhakti can give you all knowledge, but just having all knowledge doesn't mean you can love, necessarily. You could have an existence that didn't know, but you cannot have a knowing that doesn't exist. You could have a knowing existence that didn't love, but you cannot have love without knowing and existing. So sad and chit, existing and knowing, they're inside of love, ananda. So if you give do bhakti, for bhakti's sake, for more bhakti, hmm? automatically you will get jnana. Hmm? Automatically you will get mukti. It will be a small thing. Hmm? And you will get more. You will get Krishna. Hmm? So anyway, that's my answer. Okay? <laughs> I can teach you this if you're interested. It's very... Because yes. you, you, know, you have the general idea about Hinduism. You had not studied very carefully so many things. Hmm? But this is your heritage. If you get good, good, good guidance, you can get so much clarity on so many points, and then the worship that you do to will be refined. The result will also be more readily attained and experienced. Hmm. Okay, you have a question? No, no question. You understand it a little bit? Yeah. It's interesting, huh? Different than what you heard at school, <laughs> but it's still an education. <laughs> Okay. You had a question about about karma. When you and I were talking about it in the last class, so we were talking about um, of punarjanma, punarjanma, and cause um, because. Karma, karma coming to fruition will, de- will decide what your punarjama will be and so on. Uh-huh. So his question was that why was it so he, as Jivatma he understands that that the cause and effect relationship mm-hmm. karma part of it. But if everything is pure to start with where did this jiva made a mistake that he <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's an old question. That's an old question. You see, it, 
it uh, it's um, God is Bhagwan is um, the perfect object of love, and therefore he experiences all types of love. One type of love is compassion, right? Now, if you are always surrounded by persons who are muktas, then there's no one to give compassion to. You understand? You know, Baikunta? Baikunta. This is the part of Yom, yeah. There's no need for compassion there. There's need for compassion here, right? In this realm. So, in order for there to be compassion, in order for there to be a, for be God, for be a, a God who experiences all kinds of love, you have to have a realm in which there's a necessity for compassion. Hmm? So because, if you want to say that God is, is the, um, is the perfect object of love in me, and, 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 and that entity who tastes all varieties of love, lives on love, hmm? then you have to include compassion in that. And then there has to be a world where there's a necessity of compassion to bestow it for God to be the Savior. God cannot be the Savior in Vaikuntha. Everyone is saved. Hmm? So in order for there to be this aspect of the Godhead, there needs to be a realm hmm, where such love is a necessity and is thought to be the highest thing. Hmm? So if you want to posit that God is all love, then you have to, at the same time, have a world where God can be the compassionate lover. Hmm? So, if you don't want the world where, where, where God is a compassionate lover, then you cannot have a God who is the experiences or the reservoir of all types of love. He cannot be the lover. But compassion is a kind of love. Hmm? Right? And it's an important one for us. So, this is a kind of a why, if you will. There is a world in the first place, a world like this, in need of salvation, in need of mukti, in need of prem. Hmm? And then there's the bestower of prem, the bestower of mukti, hmm? this side of the God that we call avatar, hmm? crossing tara, avatara, crossing from up to down. Hmm? So if, if if there is to be a if God is to be a savior, then there has to be a world that needs to be saved, and there is such a world. We know that. Hmm? Now, that said, also, if you say, why is there uh, smoke and why are there sparks to the fire? Is there an answer? We said the fire is there's a fire. It has smoke. It has heat. It light. It has spark. That's just what it is. Hmm? It's just what it is. We know that there's a there's a world of matter, and we know there's it's unexperiential, and then there's us who experiences. We know that's there. Hmm? Why is that there? We might as well ask why is there anything? 
It's not worth asking why, but there, that there is, that's for sure. Hmm? And that the interaction between ourselves and the world of matter is problematic. We can't solve the problem ourselves. Hmm? We need help. Hmm? That's our condition. Now the question is, why did this all begin? Why, why, where did it start? It has no beginning, that's the point. It has no beginning. Hmm? There's no beginning to smoke. It's always there with fire, hmm? to some extent. There's no beginning to sparks. Of course, fire has a beginning, but we're talking about a fire that has no beginning, right? If God has no beginning, then the shaktis of God have no beginning either. Hmm? So jiva is one of the shaktis. Maya is one of the shaktis. Their interaction is called karma. And Shastra says it is anadi. It has no beginning. Now we want everything to have a beginning. That means our intellect wants everything to have a beginning. But fortunately, we ourselves have no beginning. And that's good. Because when the, if the Atma has no beginning, that means the Atma is not constrained by time and space, ultimately. It may think it is, but it's not, and that's good. Hmm? You understand? Hmm. So, the fact is, this, some things we can only know from Shastra, because Shastra has more DNA than us. Hmm? <laughs> and so, we should hear from the Shastra, and then apply ourselves, and then we can have a super-knowing that transcends the limits of our logic. We want everything to fit in our head. When did this begin? Why? The, but the answer is, everything doesn't fit between your ears. Is that reasonable? Yeah, there could be things that don't fit between your ears. That just uh, reason has its limitations. Hmm? So Shastra comes to help us in that regard and tell us about things that we could not, we cannot grasp with our intelligence. The, I, the very idea that something has no beginning is difficult to grasp. Because we, we think of it differently, everything having a beginning. But the good news is that you have no beginning. Hmm? And also, we may think the world has a beginning, but that doesn't mean that everything has to have a beginning. That's not logical. Hmm? So there's the uncaused cause, if you will, you know, to use a theological argument from the West. So, karma, here's another way, I'll give, uh, explain it. In Hinduism, we, we have the world is coming and going, right? Like expanding universe, contracting universe. Expanding universe and contracting universe. Now this is compared to the breathing of Vishnu. Okay, so Vishnu exhales and the world comes out. He inhales, it contracts. Hmm? Now, there's no beginning to Vishnu, right? Is there any beginning to his breathing? That's the point. No. So this has no beginning. The world has no beginning. It's coming and going, coming and going, manifesting, unmanifesting, manifesting. When it becomes unmanifest, all the karma becomes suppressed, goes to sleep, and then starts again, go back. And if you can get out, then you know, that's another thing. You can go beyond the cycle. But this cycle has no beginning. world has no beginning, has no end. There's a kind of a... There's linear time within cyclical time. So the world comes and goes, comes and goes. But the coming and going has no beginning. And so this coming and going of the world means what? 
The world is the interaction between Jivatma and Maya. Hmm? And, the, and the bonding force is karma. So if, the, if Vishnu has no beginning, his breathing has no beginning. So the world has no beginning. The Atma has no beginning. So karma has no beginning. But the difference between the Jiva, the world, the uh, Bhagwan, and his breathing is that where they all have no beginning, like karma. Karma can have an end for us. Hmm? So karma has no beginning, but it can have an end. Hmm? Bhakti can bring about the end. So that's the answer. <laughs> but um, last time we came to Saragrahi, yeah. the great discourse, that's when I understood Kala as time, as not a linear yeah. as we think about, but it's a chakra. Yeah. It, it, is a, it is a wheel. Yeah. So how do you spot a wheel beginning and end of a wheel? You, you cannot spot the beginning or end of a wheel. That's right. You draw with chalk and then try to measure it from there. There's nothing called beginning or end. And that chalk is something we drew. Right. It is not. Right. Not the cars chalk that we drew. Right. So that kind of clarified to me. That helps. That helps to understand. And thinking about it a bit more, as you just mentioned right now, that in this span of our lifetime, we think life, uh, time as linear, as mm -hmm. if you look at Earth, even though it is round, it looks pretty linear right now. Mm -hmm. We are just packed in the whole realm. So, as the chakra is very big, the Think about a very larger diameter that that you as a speck will see as a linear right. system there rather than a subtle system. So that helps helps to understand to conceptualize. conceptualize. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's the proverbial question: Which comes first, the seed or the tree? Yes. Which comes first, the seed or the tree? <laughs> so if you look at it from a linear point of view, you can never answer the question. If you look at it from a six cyclical point of view, which comes first, the seed of the tree, you say neither one. That's the answer. <laughs> you could say neither one. You have an answer. But you cannot answer it linear because you keep going back. You keep going back. Keep going back. See a tree, see a tree, see But in the circle, you go, oh, neither one is. It's kind of a Zen, you know, kind of tree. <laughs> so, anyway, very nice to visit with you. Thank you for your interest, sir and uh, for your parents for inviting me here. And come and see us at Saragrahi, huh? Sure. Yeah. 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 Actually, we're having a festival when? Next weekend? Mm -hmm. Next weekend, many devotees are coming. If you have yeah. time, you can come. Yeah. 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 We have open invitation. <laughs> we have open invitation. Okay. Srimad Bhagavad Gita Jai.